Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. Hope you're doing well. Excited for uh, where, where we're headed today, and as Wes mentioned, we launch a new mes- message series today, Chasing Humility, familiar theme, but the life and teaching of Jesus. And so where we're going to start today in the, the Gospel of Matthew will be our primary text. Um, it's going to take us right into Easter, and the, uh, we'll be following Christ into a life of humility, and then to the cross and the, the resurrection. So excited where we're headed. This is really heartbeat and core of, of our theme this year, of chasing humility. So I was thinking about chasing humility. I, I don't know how you felt about this. It's, it, it's a challenge. It's counterintuitive. It's, it's a struggle, not something that comes naturally. And I heard recently an experiment that illustrated this, and I, and I just felt it as, as I tried to do this. So I invite you all to join me. This is a, we can do a, a group uh, group uh, participation experiment. So if you would, with your right leg, would you make a circle clockwise? Like just start making circles. This can be a mini workout too during our church time. All right, so you got that right leg going. Okay, everybody good? Now, with your right hand, draw a six. <laughs> Did anyone feel the, uh... <laughs> now that sounds really easy on paper, right? We can do that. And then you go to do it and you're like, evidently, um, no human can do that. So if somebody actually did, did anyone do that? You, you might be the chosen one. Chosen one, man. There's a man in a dark coat with sunglasses wants to talk to you in the back. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thinking about humility and, and it can be similar. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's counterintuitive to to just how we do life. And so we come, how do we do this? What's this look like? And what we're going to do is today, watch Jesus, or listen and learn from him. He gives us a word of hope, but also instruction in this pursuit. And so we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Quick context as you turn there. Matthew, he starts his gospel. This is early in the the ministry of Jesus, the public ministry. And you notice how Matthew just kind of hits the big points, the baptism of Christ, then Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted, and then he chooses his disciples, and then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, just before our text, we get a really a summary of how he spends his days. It says, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So he's in Galilee. Near his hometown, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing people. Now, what Matthew does here is bring us into a moment, and it's a a, um, a very important moment, and I'll, we'll amplify this, or, or we'll share some observations in just a moment, but we'll, I'll go ahead and uh, we'll read read where he's at, and then we'll uh, we'll make a couple observations. Verse five, Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. 
So a couple observations here that amplify what we're about to read, which is the Sermon on the Mount, or a message that, that he gives. The first one is, notice the position of this message in the text of Matthew, in the, the whole book. This is the first detailed teaching we have of Christ. So there's a, a priority piece to it. But this week as I was studying, something appeared that I had not seen before. And it's the, the tense of the of the verb he began to teach. In Greek, there's two uh, tenses that you can use for past tense. So if you wanted to say, she shut the door. So it's a action that happened, a one-time action in the past. You would use the aorist tense. She shut the door, it's over, one-time deal. If you wanted to indicate a, an activity that continued, uh, that happened continuously in past time, you would use the imperfect tense. So something like, she went to church if you were to say that, you would use imperfect. It's something that she did continuously, but in past time. Guess what tense is used for the, this phrase, he began to teach. It, it was imperfect, meaning this is not a one-time sermon. This is really the core of what he taught continuously. This is important truth. So in Matthew 28, when we hear go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you. What's the teaching we turn to? This is what we're about to read, core to his teaching. Notice also the Lord's position or posture. It says, he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. Now to us, it'd be like, we sit down to listen, not to teach. But in this culture, when you sat, when the rabbi sat down, it was a sign, listen. He's about to speak with authority. He's about to to teach in a way that we want to hear what he's going to say. The meeting starts when the rabbi sits down. And then something we miss in the English translation, but when it says, he said, it's literally he opened his mouth to speak. It's an idiom of the day, which similar con- concept of, or a thrust behind it, which is what he's about to say, you really want to pay attention to this. This is important, what, what he's going to say. So, we... Uh, you sum this up. Where are we in Matthew's gospel? What's, what, what's about to happen? This is the king about to lay out his kingdom manifesto. This is how it's gonna, this is how we live in the kingdom of God. Good news, the kingdom of God has come, but how do we live? What marks it? The king is about to, to tell us. And so this past week on, uh, I believe it was Tuesday, the uh, Colts interviewed, gave a press conference with their new head coach, uh, Shane Steichen. Did anyone see that? Watch that happen. It was, it was good, wasn't it? I was impressed with this guy. And we, we want to be careful about putting our hope in the Colts already. But, but he uh, seems to have a good game plan. And they were asking him questions. And it was interesting. He, had, he was looking down a lot at notes until they asked him, what's your, what's your primary game plan for the, for the Colts? Or as you create a culture for this team. And you could tell he's, his passion level went up. And he looked up off his notes. There were some players in the room along with all the press. And you could tell he, w- he went to coaching. He's, he forgot about the press and he's looking at his players and it's pop, pop, pop. Four pillars. He named them off. Boom, boom, boom. This is how we are going to win. This is how we're going to, to live and play as a team. This is Jesus giving his big four, if you will, or his manifesto. This is important. You can feel the passion. He comes, and, and what he starts with is just a, a beautiful summary, and that's where we'll be today, verses 3 to 12. So I'll read through this. 
talk us through a little bit, and then we'll, we'll draw three observations and then one big takeaway to apply to our lives as we follow him. So in verse 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's that idea of grieving over our sin, and in grieving and confessing our sin, we receive the comfort of God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek is that idea not of being a passive person or a weak person or just kind of wishy-washy, but rather it's a person who is, has strength but power under control and ultimately is not worried about defending themselves but trusting God to have their back and remembering he's got it all. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is that picture of, of righteousness as doing the right thing with the right heart. And I learned something new this week studying uh, hunger and thirst. It's, it's a passionate hunger that wants the whole thing. So if you think, take pizza, for example, it's not content with a piece or two. It wants the whole pizza or the pitcher it, or the uh, drink. It, it doesn't want just a glass of whatever it is we're drinking. It wants the whole pitcher. A neat picture where he's saying, hey, blessed is the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness like that. That doesn't want just a part of their life to be right before God and part of their motives. But once the whole thing, the person who's hungering and thirsting like that gets it. Isn't that awesome? Will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That kindness, forgiving spirit, sympathy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart is that idea of unmixed in motives. It wants a heart that's pure. It wants one thing. It doesn't have a divided allegiance where, you know, we're living for self and then living for God. I always picture the, uh, the toddler sippy cup, you know, where, you know, it's got some juice in it, but what else does it have in it? Floaties, because it gets spit, you know, food gets spit back up in there. Do you want to eat that? No, it's not pure. You, you don't want to drink that. But what's the promise? Blessed are the pure in heart. Those who, who want God, who want one thing, and that's Him. They will see God. Think about what a precious promise. And this is for us today. Just thinking of what's happening in Asbury. If you've been tracking with the revival college students who are just lit up to be in the presence of God, worshiping Him. It's been going on for days and I'm just we celebrate that. We, we're praying for them and, and just so grateful. It's uh, moving to other campuses throughout our country. And uh, God is, when we seek Him, He does um, manifest Himself. And we, we all, uh, I was thinking about that experience and um, we don't live on the mountaintop, the revival moment. Moses, often throughout life, I was thinking probably God gives us Everyone probably three to five, we'll call them burning bush moments or revival moments where we see him or he manifests him, his presence in a very special way to us. And uh, Moses had the burning bush, Daniel, his, his night in the lion's den, um, David battling Goliath. We don't live in those moments. Those are extraordinary. But when God gives you one of those, which he seems to be giving this uh, generation, the college students right now, you treasure those moments, don't you? 
They anchor our faith. We look back on them. I know I, in college, it often is a time when God is at work in our hearts because our faith is becoming our own. We've got the weight of the world on our shoulders. Who are we going to marry? What are we going to you know, do with our lives? And we're seeking Him. And as we seek Him, He, he shows up. <laughs> and it's beautiful. And, and we, rely, we look back on those moments and treasure them. And praise God for what He's doing. I felt... Even as a church family this week, I, I don't know if you sense this, but last week as we were called to pray, and so appreciated the text, James 5 and Pastor Tyson bringing that, you have been pouring in requests. We've been praying over those, but I feel like our entire church, it's been a, a bit of a, a revival in the sense of just helping each other in our needs, you know? And there's that desire, God, we just want to be with you. We want to be seeking you. And he reveals himself, manifests himself. So faithful. Verse 9, he says, Blessed are the, the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is our life mission. You, you know, the, uh, what, what, what's a peacemaker do? Steps into an area where there's conflict and brings peace. This is what Christ did, the Prince of Peace on the cross, making peace with God, making, bringing us together as people, and bring, giving us inner peace as well. And then he calls us into this mix. And how do we do it? It's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where people are separated from God. We're sharing this beautiful truth. God loves you, gave his life for you. Trust him, believe and You can be right with him. Where there's peace, um, relationships are fractured. We're stepping in with the gospel. Saying, um, this is where we live it out. Love of Christ, forgiving each other. And uh, reconciling with one another. And where we see peace within being uh, messing with people that we love. We're bringing his truth and saying, hey, trust God in this moment. He's got you. He's got you. And helping each other come to peace. But there's a price to pay, isn't there? I was thinking about this with, uh, with conflict. We had a, our basketball league a couple weeks ago. A couple of our, or two guys got in a fight. One, one guy was on our team. I think I was, ended up being their friends, and they were just scuffling a little bit. But I was closest to the mix. And so I jumped up, you know, to break these guys up before they start swinging. But as I did, what was going through my head was, I could, there's a, a dental cost that may, I might have to pay for this or something. But, um, and after, it was funny, afterwards, we have a couple of guys that are like 250 pounds, 200 pounder, and we're like, hey, where were you guys? I'm 50 years old. I need some backup here. <laughs> and uh, Wes was right behind me as I looked behind me. But, uh, but when we step into peacemake as our lord did it cost him his life and that's where the next but before we get to the next blessing notice what god says blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god you say what is that that's the father's approval that's my boy that's my girl that's my boy it's the family business we make peace it's what we do as christians as followers of christ but then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Interesting, you might expect him to say, all right, life mission, you're making peace, but now hap you live happily ever after. But don't you love how our Lord is honest? It's the J-curve, where we come to him, and it's not glory, it's suffering, then glory. And he says, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, 
because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so what is our king giving us here? Three observations. The first one is this, a reason to celebrate. As you hear our Lord speak, what's the first word that that he uses in this kingdom manifesto? Blessed. And then it hits like a drumbeat nine times. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And what he's saying is, this is a victory declaration, a reason to celebrate right here at the start. The king is saying, I've won this thing, and those who are members of my kingdom, citizens of my kingdom, they are blessed. You say, okay, um, blessed. What what does that mean? And that's one of those religious words that kind of fades into that white cloud of uh, religious vagueness, doesn't it? We, We say it when somebody sneezes. Bless you. What's that mean? Why do we say that? Well, you say, it means happy and true. Some translators translate this happy, but it's more than that. If you took the word blessed, happy would be one category under this, but, but it's bigger than that. I love the way uh, one person defines it. It's, it's a deep state of well-being, independent of our ever-changing circumstances, anchored in the, uh, the reality that we are right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The king is saying... Life in my kingdom can be defined in this word, blessed. You, if you are a follower of Christ, citizen of his kingdom, you are blessed. And and I love just picturing him say that. I don't think he could say this first part without just a huge smile. (laughs) Like, it is no idea how, how blessed you are in him. I think what he's saying, a reason to celebrate. Second observation here is a, he's, this is a declaration of hope. So you look at the second part of, of each of these phrases where he gives us a promise, eight promises that, that he just um, pours out again and again and again. And with each promise dawns hope. And I love this because you think about the challenge of our life living in this kingdom. We're, we right now have dual citizenship. We, we are citizens of this whatever country that we're a part of here. We live in this world, material world, but it's temporary. It's passing. It's not eternal. But we are also, if you are in Christ, a member of or a citizen of his kingdom. And that's the eternal one. But it's so easy to get caught up living for this temporary world, isn't it? And we get down, discouraged, chasing the, the stuff of, of this world. And what Jesus does, our king here, at the start is just say, hey, here is promise after promise after promise. If you will seek first my kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He promises comfort to those who mourn, the earth to the meek. Like, (laughs) extravagant. He promises righteousness to those of us who hunger for it, mercy to the merciful, to the pure in heart that we would see God. He calls us, um, as we practice peace or make peace, we are called his children. And then he, he promises great reward to those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I love this picture of the Lord. When God gives great reward, Paul says in the Corinthian letter to Corinth, no eye has seen, no mind conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. But he, he whispers it to us through his spirit. And I just... Man, 
we get a glimpse of that and it moves us, fills us with hope and moves us to live for his kingdom. All right, the third observation we, we see here is this is an invitation to become. As we read through this, you, you see the eight marks of a kingdom citizen. As Jesus walks through this, he's, he's saying, okay, someone who is tr- a true disciple, a true follower of me, this is what they're going to look like. And with each mark comes that question, is this me? And to what degree am I living this out? Am I poor in spirit? Am I mourning my sin? Am I meek? Am I hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Am I practicing mercy? Am I loving the people around me? Am I pure in my love for God and desire to, uh, to know Him and, and to see Him? Am I a peacemaker? And am I ready to suffer for Christ? And so as we receive this and we begin to think, okay, is this me and, and this, think about how do I become this? We come at these eight marks at first glance as, okay, these are individual standalone challenges really that I need to be put, making true in my life. So I need to be showing mercy. I need to be a peacemaker. And they seem to be somewhat disconnected. But upon further study, and I, this week as I was studying through on my own, but also every commenta- commentator that I read or scholar that I read on this said there is a very clear connection, one from the other, and in a, a way that the one, they build upon one another and need one another. So that such as, if I want to get to the top of the ladder, I need to walk each rung. So to say it another way, if I want to be a peacemaker, the way to be a peacemaker is not just go out, okay, Lord, help me be a peacemaker, but rather, I need to be poor in spirit, mourn, put on meekness, hunger and thirst for righteousness, etc. Our Lord is, in, in what He gives us here, He's really mapping the way of the disciple, the, the way of life in His kingdom that, that they all connect and, and need to be taken together. So, here's the, the big idea of the day and the main point that we're driving at. Where does it all begin? If this is the kingdom manifesto, this is huge. This is his teaching. And, and this is his calling on our lives. Where does it all begin? How do we do life in his kingdom? How do we enter his kingdom? What's the doorway? And it's the first line, the first verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus could have used two words for poor. He could have used, there's a, a word that describes the, um, the, the day laborer that was just getting by, just making enough for the next day. So, you know, you've got a fridge and you've got a little food in your fridge, but it's not much. And this, this is a... There's a word that describes this in Greek, but there's another word that describes the another level of poverty that is total poverty, just a destitute. Not only do you not have food in the fridge, you don't have a fridge. You, you just have nothing. You, it's the uh, word that was used to describe a beggar. I heard one, one guy describing his childhood recently. He said, we were so poor. We were po. We couldn't even afford the O and the R at the end of the, the very word. That's the, 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 the description of this word. Guess what word Jesus uses 
when he says, blessed are the poor in spirits. The, the second one, total poverty. So the starting point, this is the starting point, the doorway to life in his kingdom. What's it mean to be poor in spirit? What, what's he have in view? As we would seek to put this on and practice this, it's acknowledging that I stand before God as a beggar. My, that before him, I, there's nothing in me that merits or earns or deserves his favor, his grace, his goodness. It's acknowledging that before God, I bring nothing to the table. And it's living awake to the reality that apart from him and his grace, that, that I, it's game, set, match. I've, I've got nothing. I am poor before him, standing before him and saying, God, I've got nothing apart from your goodness and grace. And so you say, okay, what, what does this, um, how do we apply this teaching to our lives and, and what do we do with this? And here's the big takeaway of the day. Chase humility, which is to be poor in spirit. Chase humility because it's the doorway into life, to life in his kingdom. What's beautiful about this, this promise that God gives us here, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is the tense that he uses. If you'll notice, the word is, is different from the rest of the tenses that are used for the promises given. In the rest of the promises, what, what tense is used? It's future. Will be, will be, will be. But in this one, it's present. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, when we are poor in spirit before God, we experience the kingdom of heaven now. The access point, the the entry point, the doorway into the kingdom of heaven in real time is poverty of spirit. I love the way Colin Smith said it. Heaven comes to the humble before the humble get to heaven if you haven't seen the movie uh, matrix forgive me for this illustration of it it's basically the, they were living in this unreal world and to get back to the real world you had to get to this the, the access point to get back to the real world was a phone this phone booth that you would find you um, dial in and boom you could get back to to what is real the access to the kingdom of god for us as christians as we live in this world that we know is temporary and passing, is poverty of spirit, being poor in spirit. You say, what's that look like? The kingdom, how do, when, when I am poor in spirit, I'm before God saying, I've got nothing. I am a beggar before you. Um, what's it mean that we enter, we experience the kingdom of heaven? We experience him, right? The king, the source of hope, the source of joy, the source of peace, the source of power. Why chase humility this year? And, and I, halfway through the year, maybe running a little low on motivation, but why chase it this year? And here, our king, his, his manifesto to his disciples, what's he say in the very first line, you guys? This is huge. The very, the very first line, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The access point, the doorway, and it's not just the doorway, but it's how we remain in his kingdom is a poverty of spirit. You think about our salvation. 
And you know, we, we, we realize I'm not right with God. I have guilt. I have, I've done wrong things. We all have. We would admit that. So we try to get right with Him and we try to do good and do good and do good. But what do we realize? I can't fix this. There's not enough good to be perfect before God. And so we come to that point where we try, we try, we try. Self-improvement plan doesn't work. Pride taints every motive. And we stand before God and we, we finally, we, we okay, say it, say it. I am poor. I'm a beggar before you. I've got nothing. And in that moment, what does our God do? That's the moment of salvation. He saves us, rescues us. And we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That passage, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. How does God fill us with that righteousness? It's not our righteousness. It's what Christ, His righteous life. We get credit for that. Romans chapter 3, it's the imputation of, of His life given to us. And we are perfect before God. We see it in, in our sanctification process. We say, okay, I, I've come to Christ, but now I'm going to try to get to be more like Jesus. And we start off in our own strength and our own energy, like, ah, oh, i got to do this, do that, do this. And what happens? We fall flat on our face. That temptation keeps beating us, beating us, beating us. And finally, we stand before God. And like, I don't want to say it, but, but I can't. I'm poor. I've got nothing in my own strength, in my own flesh. I can't fix this temptation, beat this addiction, follow you, love as you've called me to do. And in that moment that we say, I'm poor, what happens? Through the Holy Spirit, His power hits us. And He begins to change us from the inside out. Gives us a new heart. Puts the wrecking ball to our old self. Demolishes that and we begin to become more and more like Christ. In our ministry as we set out to do good for Him and we know God has created each one of us to do good works in this life, but we set out to do the ministry in our own strength, and hey, I'm going to do this for you, God, and that for you, God, and what happens? <laughs> we get exhausted, we get burned out, we get frustrated, we, we... and then we hear Jesus whisper, apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. I don't want to say that. I can do something, a little bit of me, a percentage of me. John 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you, in your own strength, to say it another way, you can do nothing. You say, God, I'm poor (laughs) before you as I set out to serve you in this way. I've got nothing. Would you help me? And in those moments, what does he do? He empowers us, strengthens us, wings of eagles, and he accomplishes what, what He created us to do for His glory. Why chase humility? Why pursue poverty of spirit? It's the doorway to life in His kingdom. So, and just thinking through your everyday life. So this week, you you come to that moment where you're just, you're struggling. Maybe it's with a person or a trial. Maybe at work, it's a hard person to get along with. Maybe trying to love them. Maybe it's a trial where you're just, you're just really struggling. Here's, Here's where you go. I'm poor. God, I'm poor right now. Poor. And you have access to the kingdom. His power, resurrection power, is going to be hitting you. Hope, joy, peace, 
You say, well, how, what's that mean? You, you, you're in the shadow of the king. Last, on the Vision Summit two weeks ago, I, it's a week, one week I get away for um, a week of solitude and prayer. And I seek the Lord for, and I stack up all these books that I'm going to read and envision what God is going to, where he's going to take us in the next ministry season, 23-24, starting in September. So it's a time when I feel the pressure of leadership and just like, okay, Lord, I want to make sure I, we're going where you want us to go. So I prepare for this week. I, I'm praying for it several um, weeks ahead of time. I'm stacking resources. Sunday, before Monday I leave, I get tagged with a cold. I pound it with Zycam, which cuts the duration and severity in half, but it still hit me. I, I'm pounding it with vitamins. And Monday I wake up and I'm at about 60% of where I, I, my strength level. I'm just not at my strength. And I'm like, ah. Oh. But the Lord is sovereign in this, these retreats and the circumstances of these. So, so I get there and guess what verse he gives me that takes it from my head to my heart. Psalm 91.1, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And guess what he whispered to me about our vision for our church family? Hey, John, it's not on you. Your job is to rest in my shadow, meaning just stay close to me, the king. So if I get out here, his shadow, the king... We're in his kingdom. He is with us. I will never leave you. But if I'm out here on my own strength, trying to get her done, trying to, oh, man, I'm going to read the book. I'm going to, you know, cast the great vision. We're going to go charge the mountain. Hey, John, if you get out there, you're going to be flat on your back. Here's your, here's your job description for this next ministry year. Remember you're poor. 60% strength. No, you don't have the strength. Rest in my shadow. And can I tell you the joy, the hope, the excitement I have for the future? I don't know what 22, 23, 24 is going to bring us, but I know this. It's going to be good because he's there. The king will be there if we remain in his shadow. Does that make sense? How we practice the kingdom of God, but how it flows through poverty, our poverty. So when you hit the moment this week where you're just not enough, where whatever that may look like, just to whisper again, God, I'm poor, and then know the king's got you. And what a gift God gives us here in this text, a word of encouragement, instruction. So in these first 12 verses, we have a reason to celebrate, a declaration of hope, and then an invitation to become. And today, the, the challenge would be that we would chase humility, seeing with fresh eyes to be poor in spirit is the entry point or the doorway or the access point to the kingdom of God. And so would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And as we uh, just think about this uh, counterintuitive prayer to be poor in spirit, to just admit before you that we are powerless and weak and we bring nothing to the table we need your help in this, and so we pray that you would help us to, to practice this this week, and I just invite you for a moment to, on your own, just ask God for his help as you seek to, uh, to practice poverty of spirit.
Lord, we, we feel the paradox that we get the kingdom not because of something that we bring to you, because of our great abilities or our acts of, our heroic acts, but we get your kingdom because we are poor. And uh, just all goes back to your grace. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Thank you for this word of hope and encouragement and this reason to celebrate that we have, that we are blessed people. Lord, we thank you for the, just the joy and the, the, uh, the hope and the peace of, of walking with you, of your practicing your presence, and even now that, to know that you are obviously present, actively in charge in our midst. We praise you for that. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.